Hey, Cornerstone Fellowship. I'm glad you joined us. Uh, today we're picking up right where we left off last week in Romans chapter 12, where the Apostle Paul is going to tell us how to find joy in a most unexpected place. His coaching in this passage is so important, especially after this past year when so many of us struggle to maintain a sense of well-being. So grab your Bible and let God's Word lift your spirit. Because today, Paul's going to help us get our joy back, encouraging us to do something, not for ourselves, but for someone else. Come to find out, when we meet someone else's need, we meet our need at the same time. Well, it, it says that in the Bible, but it was proven uh, in a study published uh, this last year in the UK, where researchers kept tabs for months on 70,000 participants specifically observing the positive effects felt by anyone who was doing good things for others. Some of the 70,000 were volunteering and serving others. Others were just kind of living their lives for themselves. And guess what the researchers discovered? Those who had served others regularly in the past year were happier and felt more satisfied with their lives, rating their own overall mental and emotional health as greatly improved after they met someone else's need. People invested time and treasure in other people, experienced what they called a warm glow. It lifted their spirits to think that they had done something for someone else. You know, I had this same experience during Lent, when during that time period uh, between uh, Ash Wednesday and Good Friday, each day, I would ask the Lord to put someone on my mind that I could encourage. Now, before Lent, I had been feeling down, um, lethargic, depressed. I think pastoring during a pandemic uh, finally caught up with me. So God led me to do something each day during Lent. I would start the day by asking the Holy Spirit to put someone on my mind who needed encouragement. Soon someone would come to mind. So then I would reach out to them and ask how they were doing. Now sometimes it was just a text or a phone call, but many times it led to a cup of coffee or lunch where I would listen to them, encourage them, and pray for them. That's all I did. And I have to tell you, my experience mirrored those in that study in the UK. Every single time I encouraged someone else, I was also encouraged. I had that warm glow. So here's my advice as we open the text today. If you've been feeling overwhelmed or out of sorts, I am going to encourage you to reach out to someone else who needs you. Your natural tendency might be to not do that. Maybe to stay home or say, hey, I'm too busy. I'm, I'm, I'm not in a great mood. I, I don't have anything to offer. But I want you to do the opposite of that. Uh, I want you to pick up the phone. I want you to reach out to someone who needs you. Maybe it'll just be a phone call, but maybe it'll be more. And soon you're going to be feeling an improved sense of purpose and joy. Fortunately, at Cornerstone, there are always plenty of opportunities to serve others. Whether you're packing grocery boxes full of fresh food or repairing a donated car to be given away, whether you're dropping off a meal or tutoring a student on Zoom, there's always something you can do for someone else 
Now, if you can't think of, of who to reach out to, then you can download the Nextdoor app where your own neighbors have posted specific needs. Or just access this link and we'll connect you to someone who needs you. All right, let's open our Bibles to Romans chapter 12. Now, as we saw last week in verse 1, Paul challenged us all to approach God with an offering. An offering of ourselves. Paul told us to offer ourselves to God as living, breathing sacrifices. Instead of bringing an offering, we are the offering. We take our everyday ordinary selves and present ourselves to God, asking him to show us what he's already up to and how we can actively participate in that. We pray, thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And then we go out and look for ways that we can participate in pulling heaven down to our own zip codes. Unlike those who set their own goals or make their own to-do lists, instead we ask God what his goals are for the day. What he wants to accomplish using our hands, our voices, and our resources. Instead of living to please only ourselves, we decide that we want to please him. And the way we please God is by loving others. All right, let's read, starting in Romans 12, verse 3. For the, by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and those members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. So, if your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. All right, we've got to stop there because there's so much. Uh, let's pick these verses apart, starting with how Paul encourages us to adopt an accurate and humble view of ourselves so that we can better fit in to the body of Christ. The body of Christ. Paul uses this phrasing frequently in his letters. The church is like a human body with Christ as the head. The church Christ promised to build is much more than a collection of independent individuals out there uh, trying to find meaning and discover our life purpose. We were created to function as necessary parts of a greater whole like independent body parts that cannot function separately, but must remain connected. The church must remain connected. Now this year, the stay-at-home orders threatened to completely isolate us. We missed going to our church campuses. But then, by faithfully engaging online and creating community here, we not only protected our bodies from the virus, 
but we fed our souls. We attended church online and at the same time kept ourselves and our neighbors safe from this terrible illness. We did this because it was what love required. It wasn't necessarily fun. It wasn't always completely fulfilling. But we did it because we love our neighbors. We couldn't, if we couldn't safely fellowship uh, in person, we chose the next best thing, church online. Now things are opening back up for us, and some of us have begun to venture out for some in-person fellowship. There are Cornerstone Fellowship groups gathering all over the East Bay right now, and it feels great. Those of us who cannot gather in person are still gathered online, and that's great too, because we were created for fellowship. That's what God said in the Garden of Eden. It's not good for human beings to be alone. So, for our online community members who aren't ready to venture out, don't let yourself be alone. Keep showing up online. This community has been a lifeline this past year for so many, especially those of you in, in prison or those living far from the San Francisco East Bay. Let's keep creating connections with one another, not just here in the chat, but in other ways too, in online community groups, on Marco Polo or Discord. There's so many different ways uh, so let's not squander any chance we have to connect and to encourage one another, whether we are meeting in person or meeting online. All right, look again at verse 5, uh, where Paul says, In Christ, many unique parts form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We are the body of Christ with many different parts, and all the parts need the other parts. And did you see where Paul said, we belong to each other? That's awesome. We Christians belong to each other. As Pastor Steve Sanderson often says, the way forward is together. All right, now look at verse 6, where we each have different gifts according to the grace given to us. Did you see this? We don't have the same gifts. We are each a unique but necessary part of the body. So friend, don't try to be somebody else. You be you. Be the best version of you. Be the Holy Spirit-filled version of you. Act out of who you are, not who someone else is. Your best ministry days are the days when you lean into your unique gifting and then invest those gifts to serve the rest of us. Like Crystal, my friend Crystal, who is working hard at developing her teaching gift so she can bless others. Or, or Paul, who is using his knowledge of technology to develop a TV app that will bring Cornerstone Fellowship gatherings to even more people all over the world. Or the men who serve our single moms. Last week, a single mom in our congregation was moving to a new apartment. Some of our men found out, so they showed up and helped her move. Then someone else discovered that she needed a car and coincidentally one had just been donated. So now this last week, she was able to drive to work. In Healthy Church, we all discover and develop our gifts so that every need is met. That's the goal of a healthy church. Every need is met. So let's all take stock of our unique talents and invest them in each other. For the hundreds of you who live far from the San Francisco East Bay, you can serve in our church as well. Serve online. 
You can show up in the chat where, whenever we're live. You can join the prayer team. You can give, providing much needed financial resources. You can serve locally wherever you are, representing us as well. You can write letters to those Cornerstone members in prison. You can sponsor a child in need anywhere in the world. If you want to do more, just let Pastor Christian and his team know. This is the future of Cornerstone, where we all have something to offer. So let me ask you, what do you have to offer? You don't want to just be a consumer Christian. You don't want to be just taking. You want to offer something. All of us want to participate, want to give. So I ask you, who needs your kindness today? Who needs you to stop and listen to them? It might inconvenience you a little bit. You know, I was preparing the sermon this week, and I really was on a tight schedule this one day, and I dropped by at Starbucks to grab a cup of coffee, and there was one of our Cornerstone members. Hey, Pastor Steve, how you doing? And I said, how are you doing? And I paused long enough for him to say, well, I'm not doing so great. And you know what? That, there was that selfish part in me that thought about my schedule and thought about, oh no, this guy needs to talk. I need to be somewhere. But I got to practice what I preach, gang. So we stopped and I said, hey, listen, grab your coffee. Let's spend a few minutes. He's like, are you sure you have time? I go, of course I have time. Let's talk about what's going on. And for the next 20 minutes, he poured out his heart. I prayed with him and setting up, set him up for further experiences uh, to, to sit down and talk to one of our pastors. You know what? I'm convinced that that's the most important thing I did that day. And it wasn't on my schedule. But I had to be willing to wad my schedule up and throw it away and trust the Lord that he would redeem those 30 minutes. Or if he didn't, I, was, I didn't need to do those other things I was going to do. And you know, even as I'm sharing this story right now, I feel that warm glow, those goosebumps that said, in those 30 minutes together, I was Jesus to that guy. That's what you can do. I think somebody needs you today. Maybe your neighbor needs you to babysit for a couple hours so they can run some errands. Maybe you could order DoorDash for, for that friend who needs a break from meal prep. Or maybe, like the mothers of preschoolers who have been reaching out to new moms. These are mothers of preschoolers. They're pretty busy, but they reach out to all the new moms, and, and they're making spaghetti dinner and packing them and delivering them to this new mom. Using our gifting for Jesus often means little more than doing these things. It's, it's not these huge, expensive gestures, and it's not even that time-consuming. Even the smallest gesture can knit us together as a family. That's our goal, to be a family. All right, on to verse 9, where Paul brings up that word love. Uh, Paul often reminds us to, to love each other. Look at verse 9. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor, serving the Lord. That's that warm glow. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. 
Okay, we gotta stop there because there's so much more there. Uh, go back, love must be sincere. Let's look at this word sincere. Uh, it comes from the Latin uh, sine sera. Uh, sine means uh, without. Sarah means wax, like candle wax. So here's how it comes together and forms the word sincere. Back then, you might be shopping for a new cooking pot in the public market. The pot may look good enough, but an unscrupulous craftsman has repaired a large crack in it by pouring melted wax and then blending the color in so that you can't see the flaw. So you buy it, you take it home, only to fill it with water and put it over a fire where the wax melts and the pot leaks or even breaks. Now, there were the, the better vendors, uh, the ones you could trust, who joined guilds where independent quality control officers would examine everything they sold, holding pottery up to the bright sunlight and looking to see if there were any cracks that had been filled in with wax. Once they saw that the pot was actually what it was being presented to be, and the pot would be worth the price, the seal would be put on, and the seal said, sine sera, without wax. This item is approved. This item is what it appears to be. So Paul tells us that our love should be just like that. A love that holds up under scrutiny. A love that's real. A, a love with nothing to hide. Like Jesus said, I want you to love one another in the same way I loved you. This is how everyone will recognize that you are my disciples when they see the love you have for each other. Paul also says, be devoted to one another. Honor one another. And this is why we're gonna be leaning into the fellowship piece this year, both online and in person, becoming more. More than anonymous individuals tuning in this week and then slipping away unnoticed. We're gonna actually engage with one another, entering into each other's lives. Paul uses the word devoted. Be devoted to one another, he says. Honor one another, he writes. But friend, how can you devote yourself to someone you hardly know? How can you honor them if, if they are nothing more than a passing acquaintance in the lobby of a church? We need to get to know one another better as if we are in the same family, prioritizing time together, creating space for each other with a sincere love that Paul unpacks in verse 12. Look at how he describes our love for each other. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Wow. Those 10 words are packed with meaning, a meaning that defines our love for each other. Let's memorize those 10 words. Be joyful in hope, say that. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, say that. Faithful in prayer, say that. Now put them all together. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Close your eyes, I'll say it, and you listen and picture the words. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. God, make us joyful, patient, faithful. Especially as we approach each other. You know, um, 
That and, and, and with verse 13, share with, share with the Lord's people who are in need. You see, this is so cool because so often we talk about us reaching out and sharing with the world, which is a good thing. But Paul's letter here is for us to be sharing with each other that there are those among us who are in need. And then he says, practice hospitality. And this is going to be a big part of Cornerstone 2.0 as we open our hands to share and we open our homes as places of Christian fellowship. Practicing Christian hospitality puts in touch, us in touch with the early church who hosted meals in their home, prayer in their home, Bible studies in their home. There is just something special that happens when we invite each other in. I mean, it's great to meet online. It's great to go to a church campus. But a home is always a warmer, more intimate environment. When I practice hospitality, I am saying that I value you and I want you in my life. And this is what I know some of you are planning to do this year as you open your own homes all over the world for watch parties and neighborhood churches. Your home can become an outpost of cornerstone on your street. All right, let's keep reading. Uh, look at verse 14. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn, live in harmony with one another. Oh man, Paul, what a writer. I love that word harmony. Paul says live in harmony. Harmony, it's a musical word. Uh, it's not like unison. Unison is a musical word too. Unison means we're all singing the same exact note at the same time. Harmony is when my tune complements your tune and makes it better. God doesn't expect us all to be singing the same tune. He doesn't want us all to be singing the same tune. But he does expect us to harmonize. What's the opposite of harmony? Discord. Fighting. Competition. Conflict. Our voices clashing. Man, I don't know about you, but I'm still exhausted from all the clashing voices last year. Let's vow to make this year a year of harmony at Cornerstone Fellowship. Look at verse 16b. Don't be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. This reminds me of Corrine, uh, our Cornerstone member in the Hayward area who consistently cares for homeless folks in San Leandro, bringing them food and things they need, showing them, among other things, respect. Or I think of Sarah uh, in our Walnut Creek campus who, who organized a, our kids' ministry in a Spanish-speaking neighborhood in the Monument Corridor in Concord. Many of the folks living there are blessed by the food pantry that we support generously. But Sarah took it a step further than just donating money. She went to this under-resourced neighborhood and pulled together ministry to kids. Soon she was using her gift uh, to speak Spanish, to develop relationships with their parents as well. Sarah represents Cornerstone and Jesus in this one neighborhood. I absolutely love that. God, raise up more Corrines. Lord, Lord, raise up more Sarahs. 
All right, verse 17, do not repay anyone evil for evil. That's what the world does. Be careful to do what's right in the eyes of everyone. If it's possible, as far as depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, this is crazy. If your enemy is hungry, feed them. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Let me point out a couple of things here. When we repay evil for evil, we're just doing what the world does, and there's nothing different about us. But when we do what is right in the eyes of the church and the world, they may not agree with us yet about Jesus, but they would say of us that we're good people. And that's a great start. If it's possible, he says, as far as depends on you, don't fight with people. Boy, that's a great message, isn't it? And don't take revenge. And here's why. When you take revenge, you're taking revenge out of God's hands. God will avenge. God will, will repay, he says. So do the opposite of revenge. Take care of your enemy. And then he says, you will heap burning coals on his head. Now, what in the world does that mean? That you're going to hurt them by putting uh, hot briquettes on their head? No. Back in the day, when you were going to repent, one of the things you might do in some cultures is that you would take a, uh, a pan and you would, you would put some padding there, and then, but then in the pan there would be some, a small a burning coal that would uh, put smoke out. And when you would walk around, you're telling people, I'm repenting. Uh, and it was just a cultural way of saying you're repenting. So what, what's happening is, when you take care of your enemy, you're actually encouraging the opportunity for them to repent of how they're treating you and probably how they're treating others. So by not getting revenge, you're actually encouraging repentance. Verse 21, do not overcome, be overcome by evil. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Every time you do something good for someone else, you're, you're overcoming evil with good. Like last year when COVID shuttered our churches, but then Alan and Kathy figured out they could open up their Livermore Ranch for outdoor worship where people could be perfectly safe and have Christian fellowship. So they started hosting these once a month teaching and worship gatherings. And at the gathering, it was very open-handed. They, they didn't say we're a church or we're, we're becoming a church. And they didn't say those churches that are not open are awful. They just said, come to our, come to our ranch and hang out. And so people came from all different churches and some people who don't go to church. And they came, and the, 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 the services were about an hour long where they would feature a local ministry and even encourage people to give to it. But then people would stay another hour, two hours, just getting that fellowship that they, they craved. Soon, uh, Alan uh, and his wife, uh, they were using two of their six main bedrooms as transitional support housing for women and children. Like Steve Sanderson says, the way forward is together. With our love for Jesus binding us together. That's how we're going to overcome. 
That's how we're gonna thrive this year as a family. There are so many nuggets to be found in the second chapter of Paul's letter to the Roman believers. Sit with it all week and ask the Holy Spirit to reveal to you the role you will play in our church. Ask God for an assignment. We have a bright future ahead if each of us will, will, will take this on as an assignment, that you're going to serve someone. We're gonna gather for worship, for worship and Bible study and then we're gonna scatter as the church, living out what we've learned. We gather to worship and discuss scripture, to enjoy fellowship, and then we scatter to bring Christ's love to our neighbors, inviting them into our lives. I encourage everyone who can hear me today to accept this challenge. Do something. Do something for someone else this week. Don't put it off. Promise me now that this will be the season that you will serve others. You know what's fascinating? They'll be better for it, but so will you. All right, let me pray for you now. God, I pray that the conviction of your Holy Spirit would fall upon every listener that has heard this message. That they wouldn't just shut their Bible and go on with their day, but they, there would be that conviction in them that says, we're all going to do something for someone else. That means I need to do something for someone else. Father, tell me who you want me to reach out to and what you want me to do for them, and I will do it. I pray that each of us is willing to do this, this day, this week, this month. And I bless you in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.